Hi, I'm Rosie from Cointos Collective and welcome to Cointos Conversations, our new podcast for chatting about the methods, magic and madness behind making theatre with a range of emerging and established companies and artists. This first series of conversations aims to answer the question of how we create theatre in response to the climate emergency. Our show, Freak Out, will be at Vault Festival 2023 at the Network Theatre, Waterloo in London, on the 18th and 19th of March, and it follows a community facing the loss of their homes as a result of coastal erosion accelerated by climate change. Our process of reworking our show in preparation for Vault inspired us to open up conversations for sharing creative methods, inspirations and aspirations when making work that addresses, reflects and confronts climate change. In this episode, I'll be talking to Holly Darville, Aidan Alexander and Charlie Lloyd from Hypoc Theatre, who will also be performing their play Treading Water at this year's Vault Festival on the 11th and 12th of March at the studio in the Vault's Waterloo. Treading Water tells the story of two polar bears fighting for survival, played by Holly and Charlie, who are helped and harried by a manipulative Arctic seabird, bringing news from the rest of the world, played by Aidan. It's a play which aims to respond to the ever-present phenomenon of climate doomerism. This is what we talked about during our conversation. Hello, Holly, Charlie and Aidan. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Um, so first of all, would you all like to briefly introduce yourselves? Um, <laughs> I'll go first. Um, so my name's Holly. I am a bilingual actor based in North London and I am playing the role of the female polar bear in Treading Water. And I'm kind of in charge of all the, the marketing side. So that's what, that's what I've been doing as well as the devising. Oh, all right sure i'll go next uh so um hello everybody uh my name's aiden um i am how old am i i'm 25 uh and i live in bournemouth and um i in the show i play the skewer and um i've on sort of my side i've been doing sort of technical side of stuff um and um organizing that which has been interesting <laughs> but uh it's been going good yeah. Great. Hi, I'm Charlie Lloyd. Uh, I'm based in Reading. Um, yeah, I'm playing the role of the male polar bear in Treading Water. Um, and uh, as part of my other roles uh, to do with the play, I've been doing lots of fun stuff around budgeting and getting all the numbers together and some of the logistical stuff. So all very necessary. Uh, Holly, I've also been doing um, marketing for our show and uh, like you guys in uh, Cointos, we all share sort of similar, yeah, we all share different roles as well as performing. So yeah, I guess I'm right in saying that you're both casts and creatives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as Holly said, you know, we've all been taking part in the devising process from the outset, really. Um so while everybody has their own little roles, we've obviously all be kind of chipping in with everything. And um, certainly from the kind of um, from the writing perspective, from deciding, you know, what the staging is going to look like, the lighting and the soundscape and all that sort of stuff. We've all kind of 
um, collaborated on that, obviously with Aidan kind of taking the charge in terms of um, getting all the technical aspects done and spending hours digging through sound files to, to get where we need to be. Um, yeah, and I mean, Holly's been absolutely lighting the socials up with, with um, the marketing from the outset. So, you know, the campaign's been absolutely brilliant in terms of how much reach it's had. Your little sort of um, Instagram posts are, are really beautiful to look at. You've done such a great job on that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I can't believe how much time it all takes. You know, this is our first time doing anything like this. And wow, I was not prepared at all. So I'm glad that it's coming across well. Yeah, there is just so much to do, isn't there? It, it's, it, you don't actually realise how long it takes to draft all these posts and to schedule everything, organise everything. It is just such a big job. She's been smashing it. She has been. The, the social stuff has been, like, incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. And also also um, a complete, complete whiz with a camera as well. So we've had some great, great shots that Holly's been taking of the... the the team as we've been going through the kind of rehearsal um and devising mm. process so yeah so uh yeah all co-collaborators and then come lights up obviously we're hanging up our administrative hats and um taking on the roles of of being those animals cast adrift so yeah um i guess that sort of naturally leads me on to asking uh you guys a little bit about how um hypoc theater came to be i mean first of all that's a really cool name um so what would you say is kind of your origin story well we um we all met at east 15 on the ma acting course which we completed uh last year so we finished in last september um and one of the modules in uh the course itself was called um map or map fest um, and it just stood for MAP project. Um, but it was it was a devising project where sort of everyone in the cohort got to uh, pitch an idea um, of theirs, sort of like you had a minute to do it, really, um, of, of any kind of wild vision or just if any kind of, you know, spark of inspiration, you could do it. You could pitch anything you wanted to. Um, and then based off of that, we had to get into uh, we had the option to get to three groups where of sort of ideas that we really liked and then the week after that we did sort of like a uh like a three minute scratch showing where we would show a little bit about the piece maybe talk about what like where we see it going uh story wise or like any again any other inspirational ideas that came off the back of that um anyone could join any group and even on the scratch day if you saw a piece that whose group you weren't in you could go oh actually I think I might want to go work with them so you know you go you go chat to that group and you know if it's not happening you could take it on and do whatever you and do whatever you wanted really but um us three got really really lucky and uh we all stuck together um even on the scratch it was it was pretty clear I think afterwards we all sort of uh met up and said yeah this is I think we're still really keen for this which is great and um yeah and and when it came to the final decision we all wanted to tell the story and we stuck with it. So here we are today, <laughs> sort of nearly a year later, really, because it was March. Mm. Was it March where we did, where we yeah. did, where it started? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so nearly a year later. Yeah, so um, I guess it, it started off as something quite small. Um, but I guess over the course of this year, it's, it's grown into something that's a lot bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we had no, we had no idea when we first started this out i mean even to apply to vaults anyway was pretty big for us 
because obviously we, we it was of the first sort of encountering we'd had with theater with festivals uh and um we took a we thought we'd go for it and uh after spending sort of very grueling full day <laughs> full full day of um doing the application sort of peace of mind we sent it off and when we had it back it was um yeah really couldn't believe it really couldn't believe it but um we're so lucky and um well I think we're all just really happy to share the story it, it was the same for us actually um we sort of I mean we we'd heard about vault festival it is such a really big exciting festival um but we only sort of remembered to apply for it on the day of the deadline so um it sounds kind of similar to you guys and that we spent sort of a very mad six hours I guess of of doing this application form and just you know sometimes I find that works actually when you're under pressure and uh you don't overthink things and you just sort of go for it and um yeah we we just went for it we did the application form didn't expect that we'd actually get into the festival festival at all um but yeah here we all are which is amazing and we we're also so grateful to be a part of it because you know we've all heard the really sad news and well you know keeping our fingers crossed don't want to jinx anything but vault festival is basically um uh, under threat at the moment because um, the landlord and um, the venue, the vaults, has basically asked Vaults Festival to find a new home for next year. So this year it will be the last yeah, festival that will be in the vaults and they've got to find a new home. And yeah, we're all hoping that they'll do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Well, it's awful news, but I wasn't, I was sort of shocked, but also just not surprised, <laughs> like the reasoning behind it. So yeah, I just hope that, you know, enough money is raised that they can actually move it somewhere else. But it's a shame because, you know, there's so much, there's so much like history tied behind it. You just think, oh, it's never going to be the same anymore. It sounds like, you know, they, they have no choice at this point. They do have to move. It's not about staying there. It's, you know, about trying to save it. So fingers crossed. We just have to hope that enough money is raised. Yeah, we'll all keep our fingers crossed, definitely. And it is such a shame as well, because the vaults as a venue is so atmospheric and you guys will be in it um, for your show. I think, are you in the, is it the studio? That's right, yeah. Yeah, what's what's the space like in there? Uh, yeah, we, we went along for, um, I went down for the on-site, when was that? Probably a good month or so ago now. Um, and it's pretty good, actually. So um, when we originally performed at MAP, um, it was in the on-site studio at East 15 called the Corbett, which I think is around about 90 seats or something like that. Um, so actually the, the, the studio is basically the same size, um, you know, as part of our um, staging. We don't take up a big footprint anyway, so we can kind of go pretty much anywhere. But it's, it's you know, probably about 80-odd 80, 80 seats in a nice tiered seating arrangement. So, you know, pretty traditional sort of theatre layout in the sense uh, of that, other than it obviously being underground in a sort of vaulted... Uh, room just off the back of TFL's document store. <laughs> yeah, it, that's great actually that um, you're not having to adapt too much to a new space. Um, when we first performed our show last summer, um, 
the seating arrangement for the audience in the space we performed in in um, the studio at Bristol Old Vic is in thrust so it's all three sides um, but now we're in the network theatre which is also like an 80 seater tiered seating and it's end on so um, yeah we're about to sort of plunge back into our rehearsal devising process which you guys have just been doing recently um, and that's something we've now got to bear in mind among other sort of changes that we have to make to the show yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's uh, it's an interesting point you make because you know at, at some point hopefully we'll take this to potentially other venues um i think the nature of it is that we could probably adapt it without too much difficulty um to other other sort of layouts really because it's quite simple in terms of you know what, what the setup and the staging is yeah definitely could you tell me a little bit about the sort of set and the staging yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, we kind of initially set out to make it as low footprint as possible. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a lot of kind of recycled materials that we're using. Um, but we, we wanted to keep it really kind of simple, something that we could pack up and take pretty much anywhere. Um, so we, we've like literally got two main items of set furniture, which are not big at all. And it all fits onto kind of like a, a pretty standard tarpaulin, basically. So, yeah, it's about, about as simple as they come, I think. Yeah, that's that sounds really great. So, yeah, you mentioned that you were thinking of taking it to other venues. Would you say that potentially there's a tour on the horizon? <laughs> yeah, I think that's something we've we've certainly discussed the possibility of. Um, you know, we might see if we can maybe take it to other fringe festivals. Um, obviously, it'd be wonderful to take it to, to somewhere like Edinburgh, but I think that would have to be next year based on some of the commitments that, that the team have got already. Um, but I think we'd love to take this message and take it elsewhere because I think it's we all we, we all think it's really important and that, you know, it potentially has the um, the possibility to to you know help people feel like they can make some change about this stuff. A hundred percent. So, yeah, sort of on that note, um, I sort of wanted to go to talk about your creative process, I guess, um, sort of how HIPOC collaborates and works together. And first of all, I've already said that I really like your name. So I was wondering as well if there was a little story behind that as well. <laughs> yeah, we I think the name was one of the last things that we came up with, like before we presented it at East 15. Uh, we didn't have like we didn't have a lot of time at all, but we kind of we discussed it and we wanted something that kind of referenced sort of the history of theatre, but wasn't super, super obvious. So we just did a little bit of research. And um, yeah, um, so it comes from the word, the Greek word um, Hippocrates, uh, which means uh, actor or stage player. Um, and I think sort of the moment we found that it was, you know, yeah, that's right. That sounds good. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was the last thing on our list, I think. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That's so interesting. That's that's really different to us because, um, yeah, you, you guys have mentioned that you um, met and you formed on East 15 um, course and Cointos, we all formed on a course as well. It was a it was a theatre making residency at Bristol Old Vic. Um, and yeah, we were all picked to be this ensemble. And um, yeah, we went through most of the year. We were just made in Bristol 12 you know we were the 12th group we didn't have a name yet 
Um, but sort of the way the structure goes before we started to work on Freak Out, which was our end of year piece, um, there came the moment that we had to sort of pick our company name. And it was, you know, <laughs> we tried everything. We tried these weird like dancing activity in which people would shout out names and if you liked it you would dance um <laughs> and we sort of came down to these these two names um i think one of them was called like static drop the other one was called hot floor um i was more on the hot floor side i quite like that actually <laughs> but um yeah, we, we just couldn't decide between these two names. And we tried all these activities, all these processes of trying to whittle down all these names, combine words, that sort of thing. And then we all just sat in this circle. And then, um, you know, one of our company members said, oh, should we just toss a coin? And we all just really liked that. <laughs> um, and it's, But it's funny, actually, because I do think that it actually sums us all up pretty well. Um I guess, yeah, with, with Cointos, we are a group who really like sort of taking our work into sort of surprising directions and sort of, you know, things happening by chance. I mean, you could say our formation was by chance, really. So, um, yeah, that's kind of our story behind our name. Um, <laughs> so great. I mean, I mean, we used to say it, Andrea, who was our course leader as well, throughout this whole, because this was kind of our first exposure to a devising process. Um, it would be, it would be, don't try, don't try to fix things by using this. They'll naturally just happen, like have faith and trust in the process. And I think obviously how, how you found your name and I mean, to be and how we quite worked as a, as a company as well, very much is kind of like a, it, like what is for you won't go by you kind of thing. Um, and it sounds like the name for you guys just kind of lit fell. It, it wasn't something that was ever thought about, but just kind of fell into your lap and you ran with it and it worked. Um, and, and again, similarly, that's kind of how we worked through kind of throughout this process um, with devising work and stuff like that. So I think it's so important as well as actors to have that kind of um, capacity to trust in the unknown and to like take a leap of faith like that. Um, and it's just so great when stories like that work out, especially for you guys as well. Like that's so what, like what a name as well and how, and how to find it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely reflects our process as well. You know, we're sort of non hierarchical. We don't have like a rigid structure of one person directing, one person writing, one person essentially making all the creative decisions. How do you guys work together? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, very much the same i think um you know w w for this piece in particular um we obviously had a fairly clear idea from the outset as to kind of what the setting was going to be and the characters came together very quickly um i think we'd initially just i can't I'm trying to remember i think we'd initially had two polar bears and then you know we obviously had a third character and obviously those characters have all become fundamental to it um but it was very much a devising led process because i think we had under a week and a half to actually create like a, a scratch basically so we didn't really have time and I think we we're all a bit wary of sitting down and trying to you know kind of to Aidan's point intellectualize our way through writing something line by line um, so what we did was we kind of had some discussions around what we thought the play might consist of 
little beats, little moments, like, you know, everything from major story beats through to perhaps some more um, movement-led pieces, just seeing what kind of came out of that. I think one of our mantras that's kind of followed us the whole way through is that we'll, we'll try everything. Like, you know, we'll have a discussion about it, even if it doesn't necessarily feel to one or other that it might work, might work or not. We'll just give it a go and see what comes of it. And I think some of our kind of most interesting sections of the, the piece have come from that. So, yeah, we basically would sit down, worked out a loose flow of where everything might sit. Then we just devised it, basically, recorded it, transcribed it, and then went kind of through an editing and, and vetting process of that. And then, you know, as we got to making a longer play, we were able to revisit some of the ideas that we'd had before that couldn't make the original scratch um, and add in a whole bunch of extra stuff as well. Um, yeah, so that was that was kind of the approach that we took, really. Um, and yeah, I think it's worked very well for us. I think we all work very well in the space in terms of devising together and, and you know, welcoming ideas in. Um, and I think also we've kind of tried to be quite sort of holistic about our approach to the whole process in terms of checking in with each other regularly and making sure at the start of the day we're talking about how we're feeling, you know, doing our kind of um, consent check-ins and all that sort of stuff and aiming to round up the day and sort of summarise how we're feeling it's all gone and where we might want to go next. Um, so, yeah, being really conscious of all that stuff as well. Mm. Oh, check-ins really are so important, especially in an environment when you're all working together and you're all devising together. And, you know, that time frame that you just described to me, that is very intense. And, you know, I assume it was probably like, was it about sort of six hours every day as well or even more? And the rest, yeah. Yeah, I think we'd, we'd yeah, we'd be getting in, I think, around about 10 um, and then, I mean, on, you know, especially in the run up to it, I think we pulled some pretty late evenings as well. And, you know, it's, it's, it, as, as I'm sure you well know, Rosie, like it's hard work, man, when you're, you're sort of just constantly creating and adapting and trying to keep in mind the whole thrust of the piece and, and, you know, what the messages we're trying to get across while honoring what the characters are doing and giving them enough stage time and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was pretty exhausting, but, um, I, I think we've, you know, I think we fairly quickly, ended up with a process that worked that's really remained fairly consistent the whole way through turning this into a um a, a fringe length play as well mm, yeah and that that it does sound quite similar to us in that we had four weeks um to make an hour-long show which was free cal and you know what we made in those first two weeks none of that really ended up in the final project I don't think any of that time was wasted, though, because it helped us along the journey, the way of really discovering what it was that we wanted to make and finding the right beats that we wanted. And yeah, actually, some of that did make its way into the final piece, albeit in a, in a different way. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, it's a process and you're also working together for the first time and you don't know what that's going to be like. Um, yeah, you're just, it's, it's constantly learning. And like you said, it is tiring as well. You know, it's mentally and physically draining. Um, so it's so important that we all support each other. And and I, and I think it seems to be something that's becoming kind of, from my experience so far, more prevalent in, in the industry as well. Like I think, you know, much as drama schools have changed significantly in the past 20 years in terms of their um, pastoral care of students, um, I think the industry is starting to move that way as well, especially around like, you know, the, the consent stuff and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's all positive for sure.
Yes, all, all very, very positive things. And sort of all this talking about the process as well sort of very naturally leads us into talking about treading water. So yeah, we've, we've talked a little bit about your process and sort of how that first week of devising went. Um, but how did the idea for the play first come about? Yeah, so um, I mean, I'm sure, well, I mean, it's the, the kind of the thing that brought us all together, really. For a number of years, I'd have this horrible sense of powerlessness about the climate crisis, basically, you know, as one individual, what could I possibly do about it? And no matter how much I tried to rationalise it, it basically sort of felt like nothing. Um, and yeah, as more and more studies came out, I was only getting more and more kind of anxious about it. Um, but, you know, I, I believe that, and as a company, we also believe that theatre can be a real tool for, for change and for having really important discussions. Um and, you know, as we were coming into this um, MAP uh, process, um, obviously, you know, seeing all these photos, as I'm sure um, most people have, of polar bears looking extremely emaciated, uh, you know, struggling their way through um, melting ice because obviously they need ice uh, to be present for them to hunt on and, and eat, basically. And obviously as climate change um, is forcing temperatures up in the Arctic and there's the very real possibility of summers free of ice. Polar bears are becoming, you know, more and more threatened. Um, and so it was kind of the imagery of that, that that kind of resonated as a sort of an appropriate concept to explore this idea of hopelessness because there's really nothing those animals can do. Um, and so that was kind of where the initial seed came up. And then, you know, as we were going through the MA process, like Holly and Aidan and I gravitated towards each other really quickly. We were all on board with kind of like what the key concept was. Um, we'd looked at, uh, at um, Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett as part of the MA course. And I think that a, a lot of that feeling of like um, futility of that situation lent itself towards what we were trying to say as well. Um, so those were kind of like the key concepts really that that then ended up being um, the, the fundamentals of the piece. Mm. So you mentioned that all three of you gravitated towards each other naturally, which is really lovely. Um, was how, yeah, was, was there any particular sort of reason for this? Was it that you guys bonded over anything in particular or um, I guess, um, would did you all sort of have an interest in making work about climate change or were there any particular styles or um, of theatre or sort of theories methods that you all really liked I think I think we all kind of knew that this was like it was an opportunity for us to really create our own work you know something that we were really passionate about and um it was yeah it was you know climate change and just you know, what can we, we wanted to show that, you know, we can actually do something, but how are we going to, how do we put it into words? And it just felt like the right space to explore that because we knew it was quite a, not a delicate subject, but a difficult subject to talk about, you know? Um, and I guess it just, I think it just sort of felt right. I mean, we knew each other obviously on the course, but we hadn't worked together before. Um, Charlie, I hadn't, like worked with you at all and Adrian I knew you quite well at that point um so I, I guess it, it was just one of those things that just it just felt right and I think we all just looking at each other we all just knew oh this is actually something important and I really want to tell this story um yes yeah, so, I mean as as, Char as Charlie said before I think Waiting for Godot we, that we had done in the course was a was a massive inspiration I think 
especially, I mean, I think, well, I mean, I think we might, we might, we'll get onto it later, but just to touch on as well, sort of like, um, in Godot, you have these two characters almost sort of crippled with indecision about not knowing what to do. So it's, be- and, and almost existing in a space of, of the unknown and what that feels like. Um, and I think with us, we almost wanted to capture the essence of that. Um, because again, when when you see things like in the news or or you read another climate story, very rarely you hear actually good or positive climate stories. And as Charlie was saying in previously, that sort of that weight of just being constantly uh, hit over and over again with these um, with these headlines, it it makes you it it makes you unable to see the light. <laughs> I think, and or and, and unable to see a way through. Uh, and a way forward or how things can ever get better um and i think that in again crippled by indecision or indecisiveness about just not knowing what to do um so i think yeah the essence of godot with that we really wanted to capture um and we do have some sort of nods and inspirations to it within the play itself um for those who know sort of godot well um and i know in our in our in our MAP week as well, we experimented with sort of like a lot of movement stuff uh, as well and ways to incorporate um, potent movement aspects within it. And I, I don't think they... Again, it was more of just an exercise whether to see if it would get used or not. I don't think we ended up... Um, no, we didn't end up using it. But one of sort of like we, we used a lot of like frantic assembly inspired um sort of movement practices um a lot of gecko stuff as well um yeah just I love to, gecko. yeah it's fantastic fantastic theater um mm. and yeah so just and we just wanted to see what that would look like in this setting really um and um but yeah i'd say as far as kind of play inspiration Beckett, beckett's work was a massive one for us the movement practitioner stuff, well, all the the theatre company stuff that we took inspiration from, um, I don't, like I said, I'm not sure, I don't think we ended up, obviously it massively helped in the process, but as far as making it into the final show, um, it didn't make it, it didn't make it uh, as far, but as far as putting movement stuff and and, um, the movement pieces that we have in the show are done... uh, are done silent without words um and i think we've done a i think we've done a really good job in uh well i would say that but um (laughs) but um but i i hope i hope we've done a really good job in conveying sort of our our themes and our ideas uh through to our audience non-verbally i mean again you look at um i mean just because we look you look at gecko's work and it's it's sublime it's fantastic and in their latest show kin as well it's um even more so uh than of than the wedding and it's um yeah i mean it's amazing theater um a go see kin <laughs> is what is what is the thing what, I, what I'll <laughs> I <say> will <laughs> so obviously yeah we we you guys mentioned that you know it's been a year since you first performed your sort of scratch version of treading water would you say the play has changed a lot yeah it's it's changed <laughs> <laughs> it it's changed a lot but the 
the core the core of it is still the same I'd say like the beats are still the same but when we did it at East 15 we only had 15 minutes it was about five minutes per actor and I think we actually pushed it I think we actually got like 20 minutes in the end um Ooh. but then obviously for Vault, for Vault Festival we needed like 50 minute run so that's what most of the work we've been doing has been is just like expanding what we've already got um so yeah, there's, it's been really nice because we've managed to really develop things we could only hint at in the original Scratch. Um, again, the, the beats, the main like beats are the same, but we've managed to put like completely new scenes uh, within that. And just like even from the, the character's perspective, just being able to develop the different dynamics has been really interesting. We just we just didn't have time before. And because it was such a short piece back last year, a lot of a lot of it was very, I don't want to say like simplified, um, but I guess we just, we just couldn't go into detail that much at all. We just didn't have the time. So we had to really pick and choose, you know, what's going to be the most effective choice for this time frame. Um, so it's just been really nice to be like, oh, we've still got, we've still got 10 minutes. You know, what can we, what can we develop? Is there anything we can add? You know, are there any sequences that we'd really, really want to try that are more like, you know, got some more music or again, movement, um, so yeah, it, it has changed quite a bit. I'm excited to do that, you know, as it is now. Um, and obviously the key themes in your play are climate doomerism and eco-anxiety. So why we've sort of hinted at this briefly, touched on it a little bit, but could you tell me a little bit more about why you chose to tackle these two themes? Yeah, yeah. So as I say, I mean, initially the 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 idea of the play was really about just exploring what that powerlessness around the climate crisis was and I you know we went into it not really knowing exactly what we were going to say or how we could say it or what we could say in a way that wasn't going to you know lecture people that might be constructive um, and so we'd done a lot of research in the run-up to the process initially before the scratch and had I think it's fair to say thoroughly depressed ourselves in the process um, but the first morning that we got together, we, we were, uh, it was a particularly mild spring day and we were in Aidan's garden and we were, um, yeah, he'd managed to find a video by, um, a YouTube channel called Kurzgesagt, uh, which is a German YouTube channel, but they've got an English, um, translation. It's got loads of science videos sort of broken down into sort of, you know, very accessible, um, language and with some cute animations and stuff like that. Um, and... Aiden had found this particular Kurtzkasag video that was talking about the likely outcomes of climate change and that, you know, we'd, we'd probably avoided the very worst that could happen, you know, regardless of what comes next. And it was in that video that I think certainly for myself, I you know, and maybe for the other guys as well, we first came across this concept of climate doomerism, which was, you know, a, a bit of a revelation, really, because, you know, I'd known that the fossil fuel companies had been suppressing science that they knew about climate change and what the impacts were going to be since the 70s, if not before, and that they'd been lobbying against climate change. But I don't think we'd been aware that, you know, there'd been this propaganda out there that was basically trying to convince people that it was too late to do anything um, when that's kind of not the case. And effectively, you know, sustaining this idea of powerlessness that we all felt and kind of brought us together. So at that point, I think we really had a focal point to talk about a topic that we felt not many people were potentially aware of um, and to, you know, help audiences see that that it's not too late, effectively, that there is time to still do stuff and that, 
it is mm. united that we will yeah. make the changes. That, that video, yeah, I'll definitely check out that video. It's, that, that sounds really good. And yeah, sort of what you sort of touched on about about hope, you know, um, humans always have hope. We'll, you know, we're, I feel like we're, we're actually hopeful, positive creatures at the end of the day. And sort of we, we keep going on. And that's also something that we have in our show as well, sort of showing that, you know, there is this problem, we have a right to be really concerned about it. And it's, you know, with coastal erosion, you know, it's inevitable that these homes will fall into the sea. And, you know, people need to be doing things to help the people that will be affected. And we all need to be looking into ways of managing the problem as well. Um, we've researched quite a few different sort of theories and practices like coastal realignment and also the possibility of having sea walls to help with this problem as well. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we still have hope. And that is something as that we wanted to convey in our piece as well. Mm, mm. And, and, you know, it feels like, you know, going back, what, six, seven, eight years, it really felt like things were completely out of control. But it feels as time is going on that people are having more awareness of the climate crisis and that things are changing. And I think that, you know, probably as a species, we'll necessarily move towards having more industries around mitigation of all these issues that we know are going to come that we can't avoid. But I think there's enough awareness now that it's not going to kind of just completely take us by surprise. And that, yeah, I think that's a that's a glimmer of hope for me, mm. for sure. And hope can really spur people into action as well. I mean, if you feel like you know, we are actually achieving something here and, you know, that there is stuff that we can be optimistic about and that we can, yeah, like you said, mitigate, then, you know, we can keep doing things and keep fighting back. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's all about, you know, that's the kind of one of the themes of the play is the fact that there are people out there who have vested interests, who have been making exceptions for themselves and their ways of life for the last 50 years at the expense of everyone else. And I think the more we're aware that, you know, there are these malignant players having a very large influence over what's happening in terms of public opinion and public policy, then the more likely we are to be able to kind of ignore those false claims and to, to get on with making a real change. Just coming off of that, I think also it's just like a reminder that like hope, it lives in, in action and choices. And I think... Um, yeah, we, we have to remind ourselves we do actually have a choice. You know, you might not think that putting your plastic wrapper in the bin is helpful, but it actually is. Like, it's one less thing to be in the ocean, you know, uh, like cutting, you know, the, the hoops off your masks on any any small choice that you do, however small, like, it, it still will make a difference. And I think you can start really, really small. You know, you can stop buying plastic bottles and then just kind of see what else you can do. Um, but we just actually have to remind ourselves, okay, I'm kind of stuck, stuck here because it's all too much. What's the smallest thing I can do? And it has to start with like some kind of movement. And then, you know, it, it can't, you know, we can't, it can't not lead anywhere if we look at it that way. Mm, that's a lovely point. Thank you, Holly. And thanks, Charlie, as well. Both really, really insightful points. What I really love about your play are the animals and you're all playing animals in the play. Um, Holly and Charlie, you're playing the polar bears, and Aidan, you're playing the, 
the seabird, which is um, a skewer, I think you said it was. Yeah. Um, so why did you want to explore these themes of climate doomerism and eco-anxiety that we've talked about from the perspective of these animals? Yeah, I think so. Firstly, obviously, the polar bears on the ice were a, a real inspiration um, initially um, and something that we very much wanted to to kind of pursue. I think, unfortunately, climate change seems to have become much more politicised than it should be in terms of people out there denying the very real facts around climate change. And I think had we approached this from the perspective of having truly human characters, that that would potentially come with it a kind of burden maybe for some audience members, that it would bring human politics perhaps unnecessarily into it. Whereas with an animal, they're kind of politically neutral. What is clear, hopefully, to the audience is that they are helpless in the face of the climate crisis, which ultimately, you know, was where, where we were coming from. So we felt, you know, using animals, we could depoliticize things somewhat and that we could potentially engage with people more emotionally. I mean, we're, we're you know, lightly anthropomorphized, but it comes across clearly that we are these animal characters. So we felt that the message would probably strike um, or, or resonate better in having them as, as animal characters. Um, it gives us the opportunity to not get bogged down in all those kind of human facets and, and kind of focus on the pure facts of these animals seeking to survive in, in the face of this um, situation that they seemingly uh, have have no control over. Mm, that's a really good choice. And it, as you were talking about that, Charlie, it made me think about, you know, we all love watching David Attenborough documentaries, which is almost yeah also from the perspective of animals and you know it's presenting the raw facts of what is happening on on planet earth today and i love that it's almost um you know it's like a dramatized version of you know a, a david attenborough documentary i mean obviously i haven't seen your show i'm i'm probably making assumptions <laughs> but yeah that's that's kind of what sprung to mind for me yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would just say, watch this space on that Ooh, one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but there, but I guess there is another question I have, and this is for you, Aidan, I guess, because you're playing this, this animal. So why did you guys decide to make the skewer kind of the antagonist, I want to say, of the piece? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, that's, it's fair. I think it's fair to say that and to, I mean, me vocalising this now, I'll have to try and avoid some spoilers. But I think, yeah, I think from our from our bio that we that we put out, I think we say uh, uh, we say like help and hindered by an Arctic seabird. So I think there it leaves seeds that he's some that he's something uh, nefarious uh, going on with, with him in the play. Um, but I think the reason why we chose a skewer, I think when we set out the sort of the devising process, we wanted to for us as actors it was a case of um, uh, attributing human qualities or a human lifestyle to the character. Um, so um, we came up like like names and like where, where they work, what they do, how much money they earn, uh, do they have a family, you know, etc. Um, and obviously for, for us, that, that deepens our connections as an actor as well, but gives us some really good clues as to who they are as actual people because we are anthropomorphized at, at the end of the day. So I think it's important to hold those human qualities within us. But um, 
I think for the skewer represents the exact kind of personality and mannerisms we wanted to put forward as the main antagonist of the piece. Um, and what came up for me again was it was exactly what we needed. Um, you know, he matches and shares the complexities of persons, and as Charlie rightly put, sort of responsible for climate doomerism and the unwillingness uh, to change. Um, and I think, and I I hope I say that comes across um, in the play. Um, and also, they're just horrible birds, really. Um, they're also they're not nice creatures in in the animal kingdom anyway. Um, and so I think it just it, again it all fell into place because I don't think I don't think when we first came up with the scratch, the skewer. I'm just trying to think, and help me if I'm wrong, guys. But I don't think we actually had him as a as a villain from the very beginning, did we? It was only after a, sort of a couple days into the process, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because we, the initial showing that we did for the sake of the rest of the cohort was only about a minute and a, something long. So it was just a case of like male polar bear and skewer having a a bit of a conflab and then and then female arriving on the scene and being like well what's going on here uh so yeah by that point they we'd not got that far into the process you're right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it's just again it's just great how things how things work out like that um mm. and it i guess it is useful to have a character that is a bit more antagonistic isn't it because it can sort of create a bit of drama and a bit of yeah tension and conflict um i guess especially when you're um turning a smaller piece into a bigger piece. Um, I guess these human qualities mean that us, the human audience, can sort of see ourselves in them, I suppose. And, you know, it also makes us, it, it helps us, I think, to put ourselves in their shoes or, well, they don't wear shoes, their paws or, you know, <laughs> their feet <laughs> in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and again, that's what we, that's what we, we want. And as Charlie put, very well and i won't try to uh mimic his answer but it it having them as animals detaches them but then having the qualities is almost like an essence of of uh, f uh like it's familiar and in a way that either could be unsettling or inspiring and rosie just uh if i could very quickly just pick up on one of the points you said there about you know having an antagonist um, the whole way through the process, we've been very conscious that this needs to be a piece of drama first and foremost. We didn't want to fall into the trap of it becoming some sort of like political diatribe or some sort of lecture. You know, fundamentally, this always had to be a piece of functional theatre. Um, so we've, you know, the whole way through, we've been very, very tight around making sure that the interactions between the characters in the play serve not only the overall message of the play but also those characters and what they're trying to get through their experience in in the play and i guess yeah we sort of touched on the little human touches of the animals but you know how did you actually get into character as the animals themselves and bring out their animalistic qualities were there any particular activities methods or even games that you used to help with this yeah, we we did do some animal studies at East 15, but we hadn't, n neither of us had had, you know, polar bear or Arctic skewer. Um, but we, we had an amazing movement teacher called Christina Cappadocia, and we, we asked her to come in during the rehearsals for the scratch um, just so we could have a little session with her on finding, finding the animal bodies, exploring, you know, where their centre of gravity was, where, what part of the, their body they would lead from. Um, 
it it took a lot of practice. There were one of the games that we did is we would do we would do runs uh, with different like percentages of like human and animal. So I remember we did one run that was like a hundred percent animal, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. Um, it it was it was so useful because then we'd you know we'd start a hundred percent, then maybe bring it down to seventy, and then fifty. And then we'd just kind of let it all drop and then see what elements we wanted to keep, how they served the character, how they helped, you know, define their body language and just their general behaviour. Um, so, yeah, we we did a lot. We did a lot of various movement sort of games um, and improvisations, which was really helpful. Yeah. And, and sort of leading on from that, you know, obviously intense movement stuff we had uh christina gutekunst who was um the the kind of voice tutor on the ma course who helped us with sort of finding the animals voices as well because you know obviously we're not going all the way in terms of pretending to be gruff polar bears or squawky seabirds or whatever but just giving us those like hints and little bits that we could play with like aiden finding his um his laugh as the skewer was was a brilliant moment um, and and yeah, since the course, That's something I've really got to hear. I think yeah, absolutely, <laughs> it's very memorable, very memorable. Um, yeah, and since the course, we've um, we've had some help. So a lady called um, Abby Battersby came along, um, who we'd met through the MA course, and she uh, was uh, a, she's a movement consultant and helped us with one of the key movement sequences within the piece, and she kind of gave us a a, a, a language of movement for that sequence, which we then kind of applied to the piece overall um and she gave us a specific warm-up which we're going to start each each one of our um runs through um and so yeah that's fed into kind of the warm-up exercises that we'll we'll be running before the start of each show wonderful and um so these yeah these polar bears obviously i'm i'm right in saying that your play is set on like an iceberg um yeah so the polar bears living on the iceberg so how did you, we've talked a little bit about how, yeah, your set design a little bit and how mobile it is, which is great. Um, how else do you use that set and also the sound and the lighting to, I guess, generate the atmosphere of feeling like you're on this iceberg with these animals? I, it's, it's really interesting because we, it, as, as Charlie rightly put, a lot of it is for functionality, uh, for functionality like it's very transportable it's very um eco-friendly and um sustainable um but it's i mean even when we we first started it's it's i think it's the little things that i mean to to us i think just almost make sense whereas with with skewer he we, he needs a nest how is he going to have a nest it's not you know we don't have the budget uh well we joke about it for me to go on wires uh, and fly around for the for the whole piece. Although um, when we get uh, when we get the 150 grand uh, off Arts Council, that's exactly what we'll be doing. Um, but we we we've thought how could we challenge that? He needs a nest to to sit in. It ideally needs to be higher than um, the, you know than the two polar bear characters. Um, a ladder. I can be and I'm I for the I'm on a ladder for the majority of the play. And I think sort of even just that height difference is almost just like a we think sort of uh symbolizes just what what he is and you know how he's living um and the the tarp as well was and i can't even again i can't remember how we came up with it uh, holly i think i can't it might have been your idea i can't i i can't remember yeah. but it was it was something that 
it just made sense for us when with what our play was um and that it's set on an iceberg again we we put a ground tarp down and, and we've got it like we we can we can see it um and it it's brilliant as well because it before we even had it we were working in a, a rehearsal room rehearsal room working with the space and also the the main sort of themes of our play are sort of isolation loneliness um and how the characters deal with that and it wasn't until we put the tarp down and saw the actual size we had to work with and where they were living essentially and you know when we do the 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 actors work of figuring out you know the given circumstances of the characters um how long they've been here what they're doing and what they see around them um really brought it home i think for all of us when we just saw how small of a space we have to work with um and yeah i think a lot of our play is very much and, and the set design um is very sort of nautical and um i mean our soundscapes as well and what we have with the sound and lighting is very much that as well um a lot of blues uh, and whites and um everything to really drive home our main themes of the play is what we use it for so obviously we've talked about climate demerism and i think i'm right in saying the sort of general message of your play is helping to end climate demerism now um so how would you say in your view um what is the role of the arts specifically theater in helping to address this problem yeah i think like um like Charlie and Aidan were saying, just having having characters that are slightly humanised but are still, you know, animals, just kind of it, within a space as well where people do kind of switch, you know, switch off and relax, they're more inclined to kind of listen and just to take in these messages. It just helps build a more, you know, a stronger connection and I think a willingness for people to actually just ask, ask some questions. Um, but it, it was it was hard when when as we said when we had that first meeting at Aiden's in Aiden's garden just being sat there and I remember saying I I'm not gonna lie I really struggled to find the hope here like what how are we gonna how are we gonna do it um, but it it does just come down to okay let's kind of look at let's look at the facts you know climate demerism what is it it's it's a tactic what does it do to you? It puts you in a state of freeze where you you feel you can't make a decision. So you do just switch off and just kind of bury your head in the sand. Okay, so what do you do when you're in a freeze state? You have to get moving. What happens when you start moving? Oh, I can do this, I can do this. So it was really about, you know, if we break things down enough, the hope is that people will just kind of see their options. And not just as obviously collective action is is the goal, but we also wanted to illustrate you know, what choices we have as individuals as well. Um, like we can just wait around and wait for the, you know, higher up person to make a decision or, you know, we can actually take some initiative and, you know, at least do something so we're not going absolutely mad. Um, so, yeah, the, the the hope is that it's, you know, it's an opportunity to get audience members to just just have a little think and again not not get overwhelmed and just look at the choices rather than all the bad news because bad news will always be there you know we've actually got to dig out and look for the good stuff as well so yeah lastly um let's talk about the future i guess we've already hinted at you know a possible tour in the future um but sort of what are your plans uh, for treading water going forward in terms of 
um, yes, like um, its relationship with, you know, climate action. Are you planning on running any workshops or collaborating with any groups in future projects? Yeah, we it is something that we spoke about. Um, it's I think it's diff, it's going to be difficult to get us all like, you know, to find the time for all of us to do it. But we're all very keen to take it to theatres around the UK, do more festivals and just, you know, see what opportunities there are. Again, like maybe a tour around schools. One of the things we spoke about as well was, you know, if we did take it to schools or community events, how we could collaborate with the locals from those areas. You know, are there any beekeepers? Are there any gardeners, you know, who have knowledge of, you know, local flora, what we can do, you know, in our immediate space to help. And then again, workshops at at schools, that would be amazing if we could just teach kids, you know, the basics of recycling and, you know, just things that we, well, my generation just wasn't really taught at all. Um, So there's, it's, it's nice that we, we, you know, thanks to Vault Festival, we kind of have this knowledge of how these things kind of go now. Um, so I think, yeah, we've definitely got, you know, we're definitely open to ideas. It's just about, you know, how, how are we going to get there? But yeah, I think we're all very hopeful for the future. Holly, Charlie, Aidan, thank you so much again for chatting to me and coming on our podcast. Thank you so much for having Thank us. You. Yeah, and we can't wait to see your play as well. Like, <laughs> plays about climate change. Come on, got to do it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cointos Conversations. You can catch Treading Water at the studio in the vaults on Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th of March, and you can also see our show Freak Out at the Network Theatre on Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th of March. Tickets are available for both shows on the Vault Festival website. You can follow us at Cointos Collective on all of our socials to stay up to date with our next episodes, plus all our ongoing and future projects. This production is supported using public funding from Arts Council England. See you soon and thank you for listening.